0: What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. You just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Forensic Nurse Files. It's Nurse Free. And this is Nurse Ellie. Happy Friday. I just wanted to start this episode off a little differently and ask our listeners out there if you could do us a huge favor, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, send us an email, just kind of reach out to us and give us some feedback so that we know what you guys think, what you want to hear, do you have any ideas for us?
1: That would be awesome if you could do that. Just kind of let us know if there's um, some questions maybe that you have that um, weren't answered or if there's some topics that you might like to discuss. And Nurse uh, Rhee and I were just discussing some of our upcoming podcasts that we're going to be recording. And we're going to bring out some high profile cases and talk about them and I don't want to say dissect them, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Pull them apart. Tell you guys what we would have done in that situation or what maybe the nurse, if this person or whatever case it is, went to a forensic nurse, what we would do in that instance, what our role would be and how we would play that.
1: Yeah, we're going to try to do that somewhat regularly because that way you can relate what we do to some of the cases that you may see in the news or even on some of the true crime shows. Exactly. So if you have one in particular, any of you listeners have one in particular that you would like to discuss, again, reach out to us and let us know. And we will definitely address
0: that. And as always, there's so many ways y'all can reach out to us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Forensic Nurse Files. Or you can just shoot us an email at forensic nurse files pod at gmail.com. You could also visit our website. It's ForensicNurseFiles.com. And so today, I feel like today's going to be a good episode. It's really interesting. It's photography and evidence collection. And this is pretty much the basis of what forensic nursing is, right? First, we do our interview. We collect evidence. We take photographs. And we compile a report. Let's get into some photography.
1: Photography. <laughs> one of, it's one of my favorite parts of the evidence collection. I like taking is the photographs. What about you?
0: I love collecting the evidence. And I love packaging the evidence. I love packaging the evidence too.
1: It's the weirdest thing. It's so satisfying though. It's
0: very satisfying and making sure your evidence tape is perfect. Like I don't know. Maybe it's my neurotic like ICU nurse. Well, tendency. I'm not a
1: neurotic ICU nurse and I love that part too. I love making sure that it's all straight. And, you know, it's kind of tricky to tape an evidence envelope to seal it with the evidence seal. It can be tricky, (laughs) but we'll get into that. It's the
0: most flimsy tape ever. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But oh my God, it is for me, I guess, and for you too, the best part.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, one of them, anyway. Um, So I guess we're going to start with adult and adolescence, right? Is that what we were going to talk about?
0: So first and foremost, when it comes to photography for forensic nurse examiners, it's such an integral part of our forensic exam, right? Um, Our photographs are taken to document injuries and any other physical findings that come up during the exam. You always want to make sure that you're doing your photos within your facility's standards. So your facility might use a different camera system from the next and with each different camera system comes a different protocol. And if you your camera system doesn't have a protocol, then your facility probably has their own protocol. So there are legal uses of our photographs and that is to preserve the appearance of an injury. It's to document evidence found on the patient's body before it's moved or collected. It's for future reference or memory aid. We use it to document the details of an injury. They're used in court and that allows jurors to see things exactly as they were when we saw them. We use them for educational purposes to train newer SANE nurses or forensic nurse examiners that are coming on. And we use them for case review and peer review to continue the education process and to learn from different cases. So first and foremost, no matter what type of patient you're seeing, you're going to take a photo of what's called a bookend. And so for people who don't know, traditionally, a bookend is an object. It's a tall, like sturdy, maybe a more heavier object that's placed at either end of a row of books to keep them upright. So there's usually a set, right? Run at the beginning, and then you have all your books lined up on the shelf, and then there's one at the end, and it just, like I said, keeps them upright. So when it comes to our photographs, it's kind of the same concept and that's why they're called bookends. So before you start taking photos of your patient, you're gonna take a photo of a object that has, maybe not an object, like a paper or a um, flashcard that has your patient's information on it. You're gonna take a picture of that. Then you're gonna proceed with your patient photos. And then at the end of those photos, you're gonna again take a picture of another bookend. If you guys check our Instagram, um, there's a list of all the acronyms and what everything means. And so bookends is on there.
1: Uh, Just to give you an idea of visual for those that like to visualize in their mind what we're talking about, imagine having something uh, similar to a, a white index card and that has a patient label on it and we'll put the start time of the exam and we will put our initials We'll take a photograph of that. And then we'll take all the photographs or the images of the patient and at the very end we'll put the end time date of the exam on the same index card, so to speak, to indicate that it's ending. And so it's starting with that patient and ending with that
0: patient. And everywhere's different. Some places we just take a picture of the label at the beginning and that's it. Every patient gets their own SD card. So there's no like there's not multiple patients on one.
1: And that is the best way to do it. And that is the right way to do it because where I, one of the places where I did work, we had multiples on, um, on one SD card An SD card is what um, holds the images until they're downloaded. It holds the images inside the, the camera in that little SD card, I guess. So um, what happened is we lost some very important photographs in a oh no. homicide, a, a double homicide. And so it actually was very detrimental. And when we did reach out to the software system experts, I don't know if we're allowed to mention them or not, but I think we pretty much all use them. Um, They said never, ever, ever have more than one patient on an SD card at a time. Learned the hard way.
0: Uh, Oh my God. I'm so sorry that that happened. That is Devastating. Yeah, and so normally,
1: let, let me go backwards. It was an attempt, it, it ended up being homicides, like two or three, I can't remember. But we, they were alive, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be the one taking the photographs. But because we were the first ones there, those pictures were um, very important to the investigation. So they all were, they had all um, expired after we took our pictures. So uh, just to clarify that we don't do investigations on persons who are, are already deceased. And then depending on where you work, you might take a head to toe so you can see exactly what the patient looked like from head to toe. Some places don't. I think where you work, um, where you don't,
0: right? That is up to the nurse's discretion. We don't do the staggered head to toe, where you take multiple photos of the person in segments head to toe. You are allowed to take just one full vertical head to toe photo of your patient, or you can just take a photo of their face.
1: So I guess it depends on where you work. So the rationale, of course, you've got you take a picture of the clothing and you book the clothing into evidence. So that's the rationale for not doing it. Where um, when most, a couple of the places or one of the places I've worked in the past, um, it was the head to toe overlapping images. And the reason they did that was to have a visual of exactly how that patient looked when, um, when we prior to us, you know, conducting our exam.
0: Right. And I don't think it hurts to do a head to toe. Sometimes I still catch myself doing it. Do you? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, oop. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: see po-
0: I, I see the point. I
1: see the point in it but I can also mm-hmm. see you know if you're booking the clothes but I kind of like to have a reference later oh yeah they walked in and yeah they had a tear in their left knee and oh I can see there's a blood stain on the front and you know I don't know I, I kind of like it mm-hmm. I, I would probably keep that up even if I was at a, a, a facility that didn't do that so but again you know you yeah, don't have to.
0: And I think it depends on your camera system Like whatever company that you're using Mm -hmm. to take your photographs and store your photographs because they each come with their own protocol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to adults and adolescents, you want to take photographs of the anatomy that was involved in the assault and it should be part of the medical forensic exam process, especially in essay cases. So, examiners should be the ones taking photos, not law enforcement. Photos are always part of the medical forensic record and not the hospital record. So, that's really key, especially if you're in a facility that is on a hospital campus. A lot of times, patients will come in and they're very apprehensive because. They don't want these photos in their medical record. They don't know who's going to have access to them. So that's really important to reiterate. The photos may be of detected injuries or normal without any apparent injury. And photos always require consent. So maybe we'll do an episode talking about consent because we haven't talked about that as much as I think we should. But all of our patients, when they come in, if we're collecting evidence, meaning we're doing swabs, they have to sign a consent. And part of that consent states that we're going to t- be taking photos of your body and that those photos may include your genital area.
1: And for sure. And I don't know, um, you know, I guess like we talk, You know, there's different, we take photos of our sexual assault patients, of course. Um, and you talked about taking mm-hmm. pictures of the anatomy. We do, we're going to talk about different types of patients and what type of photos we take. But before, um, we always have to get consent from our adult or adolescent yep. patients, right? For, um, yep. It's a little bit different for pediatric patients. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about assent in pediatric patients...
0: If they're prepubescent, then there's a standard of care and we don't require consent or assent or anything like that, we just can proceed. But when they're of decision-making age, we have to get assent and that just means an express willingness to participate, they have to be old enough to understand, it's an informal agreement and it can also be withdrawn at any time. So when it comes to both our pediatric and adult exams, there are reasons that we take photographs, right? It allows us to record critical details, and then it allows us to take those critical details and document and illustrate them on our diagrams and our forms. It also allows for analysis, second opinions. If there are new SANE nurses coming in, we can educate them using those. It allows for peer review, which is something that I think all SART centers participate in, and that's something we can talk about at a later date. But then it also, most importantly, Permanently preserves evidence, right? Because wounds, bruises, abrasions, lacerations, those all can change due to healing or intervention. So when you take a photograph of that, like I said before, it allows the court or whoever to see it just as we saw it when the patient came in. Also, just really helpful for tracking a patient's progress in their healing stage. Say somebody came in with really bad injuries, lacerations, bruises, and now you're doing their follow-up exam, you want to be able to refer back to those initial photos and then compare them to the present day when you're doing that actual follow-up exam.
1: Yeah, and that's important, you know, because pediatric patients, it's a little bit different. You know, It's harder for them to understand, but then again, with our adult or adolescent uh, patients, um, again, it's the same that the examiner should take the photos, not law enforcement, because, again, they're part of that medical record, right? Um, the forensic medical record, not the hospital medical record. So um, with our adult and adolescent patients, they're older and they're able to legally consent to services. So we ex- they consent via signing and a parent can consent and consent can be withdrawn at any time. So one thing that we do tell our patients that are victims of a sexual assault or, you know, especially sexual assault, we're we're very upfront with them on the types of photos we're going to take. So we let them know that we're going to mm-hmm. take photos, the head to toe photos or photos of their, you know, a headshot, that we're going to take mm-hmm. um, photographs of any injuries they have, bruises, mm-hmm. cuts, you know, any types of injuries. And we're also going to take pictures of their um, genitalia. So we're going to take um, X, we're going to get into those, I guess, or so we're going to get into those specifics a little bit later on, you know, the different um, yeah. parts. So we, and they can withdraw that consent at any time. And what we mean by that is if at any point in time they become uncomfortable, they can, um, they can withdraw their consent to all of the exam or part of the exam. Maybe they say, you know what, I don't mind, having you know the evidence taken, I don't mind a couple pictures of some injuries, but I really don't want pictures of my genitalia. That's okay. It's up to them. We always want to respect their yeah. no, because um, especially when it comes to uh, our patients who are victims of a sexual assault, their no's already been violated. And we want to start enabling them to empower themselves right off the get-go. So if they say no, we respect that no, because that's empowering them in, uh, to begin the healing process. I don't know if, how you feel about that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel very strongly about that. And I'm always, um, as I think we all are, very reassuring throughout the process. Are you doing okay? Or is it okay to keep going? Always give them the option to stop it, If they, especially if you can see that they're visibly uncomfortable. Um, Just make sure you're asking, is it okay to continue? Do you need to stop? Do you need a break? Um, Just always making sure that they're in control of the exam. Exactly. And honestly, I think at the same time, it can get really tricky because you don't want to give too many options because when somebody's in a state of shock and they just experienced some trauma, it can be really hard for them to make decisions back to back to back like that. So um, it's really an integral part of the trauma-informed care process. And sometimes it can become a dance that you have to do. But if you just make sure that you're always empowering the victim or your patient, I think that you can't lose.
1: Right. Right. Um, again, um, I think that our communication that we have with our patients is paramount to completing an investigation and how things turn out, you know, just that communication about what's going on back and forth. So, um, again, I think, like you said, we're all very, very mindful of how this patient feels. It's not going to be comfortable to be in that position.
0: Honestly, for me, it's about putting yourself in their shoes, right? If you haven't been in their situation before, how would you want your nurse to react to you? What, what would you want them to do? How would you want them to interact? What things would you want them to say to you? Thinking back to maybe your darkest moment in life and, and what you needed in that moment. Um, and for us, a lot of times that's just taking a step back, being a little more quiet and let the patient take control. Which can be hard as a nurse, right? We like to be in control of things. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Although we, we think
1: we are, but we're actually not in control. We're never, we're never in We control. use this, Another thing that's interesting about our photographs is we use what's called the rule of threes or the rule of fours, you know, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, where you're working. So at where I work, we use the rule of fours. What that means is we take four photographs. Of every injury or finding, an example. We take them from different on a different. Uh, what do you call them? Apertures. Is that the word for it? Mm-hmm. Let's <laughs> try to act like I'm all fancy Sounds with right. the camera. Different <laughs> settings. <It's> different <laughs> settings. Okay. <laughs> i trying to act all cool. Um, I like apertures. That sounded, sounded
0: dope.
1: dope. <laughs> okay, so it's that. Uh,
0: I was like, oh,
1: "Go, <laughs> <can> we? <laughs> Well, I want to say that's what it's called, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So let's just go with settings. So we the we so let's say for instance our patient is has a bruise on their a bruised right eye. We're not just going to walk up and take a picture of the bruise for multiple reasons. We later let's just say something goes to court and it doesn't go to court for you know, three years, and they ask what it's an injury of. Well, an eye is obvious. It's an it's an eye. But let's just say it's a bruise somewhere else on the body. We don't know what it is. We don't even know where it is unless we have multiple pictures. That's why, the let's, for example, the rule of fours. So I'm going to change the location. We're taking a picture of a bruise on the left front thigh of a patient. So we're going to stand back, and on one setting, we're going to take a picture of the whole person where you can see the that left, you know, it doesn't have to be head to toe, but basically like their face and their torso in that thigh. Then we're going to step a little bit closer and we're going to take another picture. Like we're basically zooming in and then we're going to change the aperture setting, whatever you want to call it, and get even closer and take a picture of that injury with um, close up. So we already know this is the third of four pictures And we already know what it is because we've zoomed in on it. And then a fourth, so some places might just do three. So that's all they would do. And then some places would do a fourth, which would be a measurement of that injury. So there would be a ruler, a special ruler that we use to measure our injuries that would be held against the area of the injury and a fourth photograph would be snapped. So then we would be able to measure it. There's some controversy over whether or not to measure injuries that it can cause a problem mm-hmm. in court, we have to be specific, and they we maybe we documented it was three point two, you know, centimeters or millimeters. Oh, is it three point two or is it three point one? Because we looked at it, it's three point one, so that's where sometimes you just can say it's approximately this size or not even measure at all. What about where you work, Ray? Do you uh, measure your injuries?
0: So we do measure our injuries. We do, like you said, we do the one from far away. We take a step closer. We do another photo. And then we do a close-up with the ruler. I still do four. You do. I just, I think, yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, I like it. It's, It's just in my brain and I- it makes sense to me. So I still do. The yeah. Four.
1: It makes sense to me too. But again, I guess some places do three or sometimes maybe there's an option and it's an individual choice. And I give an example when I'm training a new forensic nurse examiner uh, as for the rationale as to why we do that. And I tried to explain it to our listeners by talking about standing far away and zooming in basically through getting closer and closer And Mm -hmm. I try to think of like, let's say you take a picture, let's say there's a sign that says home, H O M E. And all you have is pictures of the O because you went close up. Let's just say the O is like the injury. You don't know what the word is (laughs) unless you took a, you just know there's an O, but what's it associated with? Where is it? What word is that? And that make make it a little bit Mm -hmm. easier for people that are listening.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good example. I love that. And I know like they're just always like less is more. The less photographs you have, the less wording you have, the better because it's easier for you in court.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I would definitely agree with. There are some forensic nurse examiners who take a shit ton of photos There's nothing wrong with it, but Lord have mercy when you got to look at each and every one of those photos and they may actually appear each and every one in court. And you got to talk about each and every one of them. You want to try to keep it to a minimum, but of course you want to photograph all your injuries, but we don't need 25 sets of photos of the same bruise. If they're clear and they show the injury, then you don't need to take multiple sets of them. Sometimes it is so hard because we have a patient that has bruise, overlapping bruise, overlapping belt yeah. mark, overlapping, you know, a burn. Yep. And it's such a huge area that you can't even, and there are different stages of healing. You can tell by the, the colorations and it, most of the time. And you can't document and take an individual photo of each. So you might take a photograph. Let's just say it's a, you know, six inch by eight inch area on the, on the back you might just take a picture of the whole thing, measure the whole thing and document it as you know multiple contusions and various stages of healing and, and then talk about what colors you see. I was gonna <laughs> yeah. Say. yeah. Cause sometimes you just can't, you know, I had a pediatric patient who was one mm-hmm. of multiples that were um, living under the same roof. And mm-hmm. when that patient, the, um, the four, there were Five or six, I don't even remember, but all but one were nonverbal, no matter what their age was, where age where they should be verbal. And I would um, mm-hmm. say that that is associated with the abuse and the trauma. However, one mm-hmm. of those pediatric patients was verbal and was able to tell me as I photographed each injury, how they got that injury very matter of factly, oh, that's where my blank hit me with a baseball bat. Oh, that's where my blank bit me. Oh, that's where my blank burned Mm -hmm. me. So it was very, very, uh, very, very traumatizing (laughs) to hear a child just matter of factly talk about multiple, multiple injuries on their body as if they were telling me what they ate for lunch.
0: And they remembered every single every
1: single injury.
0: I think that speaks to a lot about pediatric patients and just how sometimes we think that because they're young, they don't really know what's going on or they don't understand, but they do. They know, they remember, and their memories are incredible.
1: And we need to believe them. We need to believe them. And I think that that is a problem sometimes that we've talked about on uh, previous episodes. When a child or anyone comes, comes to you and alleges any type of abuse, that may be the only time they ever say anyone. And they trusted you for some reason. So make sure you don't just blow them off. Like, oh, that's you know crazy. That can't be happening. That if they allege it's a parent. That parent is so nice and they're involved in the PTA or they're the coach of the baseball team. They never do that. Believe them and take appropriate action. You don't have to investigate. Just make a phone call. Call law enforcement. Call yeah. Department of Child and Family Services. Call somebody and make sure the child is safe. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah. So I, anyway, so moving forward. So we are talking yeah. um, again about forensics and evidence, forensic photography and evidence collection. So we're still talking about the forensic photography portion. And
0: so I think with photography, it's really important to make sure your camera is on the correct date and time setting.
1: You really want to try to take really good pictures uh, because with our, our, our pictures, they're stored on a secure drive. And, you know, some places, I guess, store their images on an SD card, but a lot of them don't. Like there is a software co- system company that they download into a secure system. Um, and they, we can do things with a photograph. So we can see things with the software system that can't be seen with the n- naked eye or on a photograph. For instance, if you have somebody who is darker complected, And they have a bruise, whatever you want to call it, contusion, and it may not be as prominent as somebody who's very, 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 very fair skin. So you can use inverse imaging and different um, aspects of the software to show that bruise. Another is if it's new, if somebody just got hit with something, you know, or beaten. You a lot of times you don't see the injury for a couple days, so you can use those the software system to, um, it doesn't enhance. It just shows it's it's a whole variation of colors. Like it's very technical and I've gone over it with the software system experts before, and it's very interesting, but it would bore everybody, but it's about colors and you can actually see uh, the the injury more clearly, even if it just happened.
0: Yeah. I think that's actually such a cool tool that's available Mm -hmm. to us because like you said, Bruises show up differently on different mm-hmm. skin tones. And so sometimes you're like, is that something you don't know? And then you invert the colors and then you're like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. it is. Or you may not. It. So um, it can be pretty satisfying. Yeah, it is. Like I, that is my favorite part of the whole system. Yeah, exactly. But these are
1: not accessible. These are the only one that can get these images are, um, well, law enforcement, of course, if needed. So, for instance, um, if the, it's a detective that's handling the case, uh, the, the um, defense attorney or the prosecutor... They can be subpoenaed, but those will never be out for anyone to see, and they can't go to the patient slash victim, nobody. They're very, 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 very secure.
0: Yeah, a lot of times victims will come in concerned that their images are going to get out. Are they going to be on Facebook? Are they going to be on Instagram? Are they going to be out there? they are so locked down that nobody has access Yeah, even things.
1: patients have called like, and literally. their attorneys have called and said, I want copies of the pictures. You're going to, you can't, you can't get them. Can't you get can't. them. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But it's pictures nope. of me. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You can't have them. They're, they're that secure, but it's, it's good because that way, you know, sometimes people are reluctant. Like you said, uh, uh read that they might end mm-hmm. up on social media. So understandably there's yeah. other privacy considerations, yeah, right? So, We're held to HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act and a um, high tech Mm -hmm. act. I don't know how much you know about that.
0: It stands for Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health and was signed into law in February of 2009 by President Obama. And it was basically created to encourage the adoption of electronic health records in the United States. So, they really wanted hospitals and the healthcare system to move away from paper based charting and into electronic. And it has five goals to raise quality, safety, and efficiency, engage patients in their care, increase coordination of care, better the population's health status, and ensure privacy and security. And it requires companies that are covered by HIPAA to report breaches and unauthorized access to protected health information to the Department of Health and Human Resources. So depending on where you're at, where you work, where you go get treatment, the center may or may not be using electronic records. I know for the places that I've worked, they were still using paper charting. I've asked about why we haven't transitioned to electronic records, and the response that I've been given is that They worry about hackers, even though this act is in place and it's supposed to be more of a security and help to protect from that. A lot of SART centers are apprehensive that their victim's information will get leaked, that their suspect or the perpetrator may be able to find the victim, that photos can be leaked, all that type of stuff. So a lot of our SART centers out there are still on paper charting. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow.
1: I did not know that. That's good to know. I, I personally, when it comes to the type of exams we do our documentation, I would prefer it to be handwritten because for multiple reasons, but one is the diagrams, you know, we have diagrams of different body parts and injuries and every injury we see, we have to basically draw on the diagram and label it what it is. So it's very time consuming. And I just don't even see how I would even go about doing that electronically. So that would probably have to be separate. It seems like a big pain in the in the talks. So
0: it does. And I feel like it's a double edged sword. I love I also love handwriting things. I'm a nurse that started paper charting. I love paper charting. However, by the end of doing one of these <laughs> exams and filling out, form you're like what the hell like your hand is cramping you're tired it's like is this ever gonna end yeah
1: and to explain our (laughs) our forms they have a lot of blanks they um they're Mm -hmm. forms that you fill in like any other form there's lots of Questions and you fill in the blanks in the boxes.
0: Yeah. It depending on what type of case you're doing. If you're doing a domestic violence or a sexual assault, these are like 10 page forms. So you're going to be there for a minute and you're filling in all your patient information and, you know, everything they've disclosed to you and all the injuries and it, it takes time. This is why you're with what some of these patients for, you know, four hours, five hours at a time. It's
1: yeah. And then we're going to continue with the evidence collection and how long that takes. These cases can take hours upon hours. Sometimes even Mm -hmm. goes into the next day. Um, So we talked about the, the, you know, the photographs and uh, we can take photographs of anything else. We don't just have to take another patient. We can take uh, photographs as you mentioned earlier of clothing items, articles of clothing, which is important, a victim of a sexual assault, Want to take pictures of their if they were mm-hmm. wearing underwear uh, outside and inside the crotch area, any stains, blood stains, any other type of stains that might be on any type of clothing before it's booked. So we have pictures of that. And uh, so, mm-hmm. <sighs> moving into you know di- you know like our challenges. So our challenges when it comes to um, not just the photography but the exam as a whole is consent, like consent for the photos. And again, you talked about them being a little bit leery of how securely they're stored and um, concerns about them being released. So we never pressure. We explain. We inform and because it has to be an informed consent. And it, we make sure that our patient is comfortable with the those parts of the exam. So, um, you know, for our sexual assault patient, our female sexual assault, we're going to take pictures. And what we tell them of the mons, these are different areas of the female genitalia, um, bilateral labia majora, the perineum, the anus, the clitoral hood, the clitoris, uh, the bilateral labia minora, what we call the posterior forchette, which has um, most, wouldn't you say most, uh, I'm just speaking from experience, most of the injuries that we see are in around the posterior forchette. Yeah, so the fossa navicularis, the urethra, any supporting structures, the hymen, the vaginal opening and walls and the cervix. So what that means is we actually, um, we take pictures of not just the external genitalia, but the internal genitalia as well.
0: And when we do that, in order to photograph the vaginal walls and all of that, we use a speculum. I think I talked about it in the sexual assault episode. And it's just a device that we insert in the vagina. And um, it kind it looks kind of like a duck bill and it clicks open so that we can see into the vaginal vault. And so we look for any injuries and we collect evidence in there and all of that. So that's how we're able to and see the And sometimes
1: the patient you know, doesn't want to have that part of the exam done. So we don't do that part of the exam. Maybe yeah. they're in pain. Maybe they're just uncomfortable. So, again, um, we, whatever mm-hmm. portions that the patient chooses or to participate in or not participate in is fine with us. Then we have like our male sexual exactly. assaults or suspects. Some we have males who are victims of sexual assault, just like we have women, females. And then we do suspect yeah. exams, like we talked about. So um, we t- want we also take you know do you know photographs of the perineum, the anus, uh, the pen- penile shaft and glands, urethra, um, scrotum, everything. So these, these are photographs that yeah. we're still talking about.
0: You know, something else that's different I've noticed from working at different SART centers is how suspect exam photos are conducted. Some places will do the full exam where they'll take the head-to-toe photos of their suspect. They'll take photos of all the defining features, you know, the tattoos, the scars, all of that. And then they'll take photos of their genitalia regardless. And then some are more focused where they'll just take the photos of any defining features, the tattoos, the scars, etc., and then if they have injury, then they'll take photos of the genitalia. They don't just automatically take those off bat.
1: You know, um, one of the big yeah. things is strangulation. So we have specific uh, photographs that we mm-hmm. take for our strangulation mm-hmm. patients, and strangulation mm-hmm. is. Um, do, we we went into strangulation. We've already done an episode on that, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> strangulation. Anyone who's strangling somebody is they're cutting off their air supply. So basically, they're trying to kill them. They can kill them. That we there are specific injuries yes. that we see in our strangulation patients. So we take uh, we take pictures of all sides of the neck. So one, two, three, four. You know, you can imagine front, left, right. You know, back. We take a nine photographs Mm -hmm. of the eyes so the reason we do that is there is something when a patient's airway uh, or supply has been cut off there's something called petechiae that you might see in the whites of the eye or you know i don't know if you see it in other places but it's like little dots i don't know if you um have seen that very often re
0: yeah absolutely there and so what the little dots are are just little burst capillaries you'll see a bunch of little dots pop up in certain. so the eyes is
1: one the other is the pictures of the roof of the mouth Yep. And the scalp it could happen in the scalp mm-hmm. especially behind the ears you know so we take pictures of that as well mm-hmm. so those are you know part of the protocol i think for anybody who takes strangulation photos of hands you know the top and the yep. bottom of the hands and then um again we're checking for that petechiae so to see, which are that you said uh, bursted yeah. capillaries
0: And capillaries are just little blood vessels that can carry oxygen-rich blood from your heart to your organs and can also help remove low blood oxygen, blood, and waste. All right, y'all. So that's going to conclude today's episode. I know we said we were going to talk about evidence collection, but me and Ellie just ended up talking a little too much, as we can tend to do. We get excited. We're really passionate about forensics. So there's just so much information we want y'all to have. But once again, we want to ask you guys to reach out to us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, at Forensic Nurse Files. Drop us an email at ForensicNurseFilesPod at gmail.com. Leave us a comment, a rating, anything you guys want to hear you have a suggestion on. Please let us know. But until next week, stay safe and we'll catch you next time.